Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, you're listening to the 5-Minute Talk Show with Phil Iazetta. We're bringing you today's best comedy and entertainment personalities. Now your host, Phil Iazetta. Joining us on the 5-Minute Talk Show hotline is a gentleman who will be closing out night one on the IFC Humor stage as part of the Del Mar Caboo Festival. Go to Caboo Del Mar. That's K-A-A-B-O-O, delmar.com. You've seen him on Crashing, Comedy Central, just about everywhere. Fallon, Conan, Mr. Pete Holmes, welcome. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Long-winded introduction, but good to finally have you. I I am a huge fan. (laughs) I was a huge fan of Crashing. And I just want to get to that right away before we talk about the comedy festival. To me, it was one of the most enjoyable shows on television. I don't know why three seasons was the entire duration. I'm sure it will be reincarnated somewhere, I'm hoping, Pete, because I've spoken about selling Ian Edwards, who worked on the show. I mean, I honestly could not watch a better show on television than that, in my opinion. Oh, I really, really appreciate that. That's so kind of you. I, I do think it was a, a – I, I, I think I know HBO really loved the show, too. It just always comes down to finances. It's so boring. There's this whole side of show business that people don't really necessarily care about, which I totally get. Like, it was omitted from Entourage, for example. It's like things don't happen so often because they don't make as much money as they cost. And that's just like, that's lemonade stand basics. So when they did cancel it, they were just like, we we love this show. We're just sort of, we need more buzz about it. And I was like, I totally get it. I totally understand. And I was glad that we got to tell – what I felt like was a complete story. We certainly could have told more, um, but I was glad that we got to sort of close the loops that we had introduced in the first season in the third season. And you did it so well. I mean, the way, just the way, in, in a subtle way. Oh, you're welcome. And Pete, thank you, because for me, watching television and just being a fan of comedy, I mean, you're talking to someone who's been a fan of comedy since, what, I was six years old. I mean, grew up watching The Letterman Show. I was actually on The Letterman Show for a while. It, you know, started the Raw Dog channel on Sirius. Saw you at Moon Tower before you did any of this stuff. Saw Michael Che at Moon Tower before SNL. So I've seen these, these peaks and valleys and followed all you guys. And I was actually angry when the show ended because the subtlety that you took just with Greer Barnes, let's take for instance, first episode he was late you bumped him that conversation was so cool and the way you brought it totally back around with Mulaney bumping him again pretty much I mean you told the story and Judd and yourself it was just so brilliantly done is there any chance when you blow these people away on the IFC stage the bigwigs will say hey can can we buy crashing from someone I really would doubt it (laughs) It's not because I am a I'm an optimistic person. I'm a uh, glass half full person. But you know, it's different from like uh, like Brooklyn Nine Nine. That's a show that right. got saved. And I'm trying to think of other shows that got saved. It always felt a little bit more contained, almost like um, a long movie or something. And as soon as I don't want to spoil the ending, but as soon as like it ends the way it does. Which is one of the things I loved about the show was that it was like small goals. It wasn't like a show about Pete wanting to like 
get a, a TV show or get in a movie or something like that. He just wanted to be accepted by the scene. So he started as far from that as he could be. Like internally, he wasn't ready to do the comedy that he needed to do. He wasn't ready to live there. He wasn't ready to know those people. They were too crazy to him. And then the end where he's getting accepted at the cellar and by, like, it looks like he's going to be friends with Delaney and it looks like he has a relationship and all these things. I was like, that to me is what Crashing was. If we did a fourth season and we had talked about a fourth season extensively, um, I think some of those breaks would start coming in. I think he would potentially get uh, a writing job or, or a TV show or something like that. And that, while that would be really fun, don't get me wrong, it would sort of change the tone of the show. It, it would become a mini entourage. It would be about, like, these big steps. Like, can I be Aquaman, which is what entourage <laughs> is about? Like, can I can – I and then they ended up making it, which is hilarious. But, like, I, I like that it was, like, a putting show. It was all these, like, little micro moves of inches. Because to me, that's what comedy is for, like, sometimes over 10 years. It's like right. you really just want a compliment from one of your peers. Yeah. You don't want to book a late-night spot, or you, or you do, but it's not going to happen. In that first 10 years, you're really just vying for acceptance. And being accepted right. in the scene is still one of my greatest achievements. And any comedian would tell you that. Like, when you pull into a club and where they used to, you know, not be warm to you, now the people are friendly. The other comics are friendly. You go on stage, you're better at it. Um, the whole thing sort of becomes a dream, whereas, like, for the first 10 years, it really is – it has tones of a nightmare where, where you're like, wow, this is really, really hard. Right. And that's what I wanted to make the show about. I, I always joked it was called Crashing. It wasn't called Flourishing. It was supposed right. to be about a guy falling on his face because I wanted to tell people that are pursuing any – creative pursuit especially comedy but it applies to a lot of things you're going to fall on your face and it's going to suck but that's how you know you're doing it correctly that's how you know you're like part of the lineage when it's hard you can take that as like a, a sign from the from the gods that you are doing it just like seinfeld did it just like chris rock did it you're doing it just right it, it was just such a beautiful story. And just because of how connected I am to comedy, I really felt like I went through that journey with you. Now, enough about crashing. I, I mean, I, I could talk about that show for years, Pete. I just think it was the perfect show for a comic. So even the way you incorporated Artie Lang, I mean, who was one of those guys I got to know. And, and just, I don't know that story. And just including him, it was just beautifully done. And, and thank you again, the, the comedy community owes you a debt of gratitude for that show. The one thing that show really told the story, though, of was the comedy seller and the struggle comics go through. To me, getting past at the seller has to be the most important rite of passage a comedian can possibly go through. Take me through the night that you were passed, the real night that you were passed from FT, and what it was like. Do you remember who was there? What were your feelings and emotions? Because that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, you, that's sort of what I like about comedy is that there still are these, like, markers. You know, I think in our society we, we've lost these induction ceremonies. We've lost these coming-of-age processes, especially for men. At least women have – I'm not even trying to be funny. At least they have menstruation. Like, they have something that marks, like, I am now a woman. Like, boys right. don't have that. Which is why every culture used to make something up. Like, it's like, we're going to take you on the big scary hunt when you're 11. Like, in comedy, 
that's where I sort of found those identity and meaning making basically ceremonies where it's like you did your first open mic, you had your first bomb, you had your first road gig, you had your first TV thing. And then like always in the back of your mind, you're like, can I, it is sort of mythic. Like the comedy seller is this like, you have to lower your head to get into it. Well, it you do, like Pete. Thing. You do. Some of us are under <laughs> six feet tall, okay? <laughs> I think everybody going down those steep stairs at least has to bow a little bit. <laughs> maybe maybe not the shortest of the short, but most of us have to, like, duck a little bit because it's the feeling of going into this, like, right. cave or something. And And it's the feeling that everybody's trapped in there. There's, like, a real... Um, we're snowed in and like we're, yeah. this is, we're kind of being held captive by the comedian, which is what makes it such a great room. So I actually never, because the character on Crashing is so much like me, I was always scared of the seller. Um, when I was coming up, I used to work at the Boston, which was around the corner. Yep. And it was all, and I used to bark on that corner, which was right by the cellar. And it just, like, got really, really, really big in my brain and really, really scary. And um, it was always the place that, like, I never really felt super comfortable, especially when I was coming up. It was, like, Burr and it was uh, Patrice and, you know, Geraldo and Norton. All these, like, ball busters. I love. (laughs) Right. And Voss, yeah, and Colin Quinn. And a lot of those guys are still there, but it has softened. Like, now you go there and, like, uh, my friend Chris Gethard is there, and my friend Josh Gondelman is there. So the tone is, like, totally different. It's like there's been this merging of the dwarves and the elves, you know? The elves all used to be at UCB, and now they can go to the cellar, too. It's, like, weird. They had to make an alliance, right. yeah. so we share the same stage. But the night that I did it, I didn't want to do it. This is kind of an embarrassing story. It would have been good for Crashing to tell this story. I was already, like, on... Uh, crashing, like we were already doing it, like we were already shooting the show. I think, I think it was the first season or something. I don't remember. Might have been the second. I'm pretty sure it was the first. And um, so, like, I had already had a, a talk show. I had already had a couple uh, specials, and so, like, by rights, I should have been like, I should uh, at least audition here. Like, I, I have nothing to be afraid of. Like, sure. I'm a comedian, but I was still really scared to do it. Judd Apatow, who produced the show, obviously, with me um, and directed the pilot, he he was like, I'm going to the cellar. You should come with me. And I think he – I I am pretty sure for a fact I know that he knew I was scared. Like, he could tell that I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go up. Um, I didn't even want to hang out because I was literally afraid someone would be like, do you want to go up? And I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with the psychological, like – pole vault that I would have to internally achieve to greenlight my own okayness with performing there. Because I, I was still like, that's where Chappelle goes. That's where Steinfeld goes. Like, like it's, I, I'm too scared. I don't know why. I do know why. But I, I shouldn't have been. So finally, Judd was like, just come. And I was like, I don't want to do it, but I'll let you know. And then I watched the movie Man on Wire. This story is so embarrassing. Which is about uh, a French trev- uh tightrope walker who shot an arrow with a tightrope rope between the World Trade Centers, uh, obviously a long time ago, and then tightroped between them. <laughs> so I'm watching this movie. Right. Do you know that story? The Jason Gordon, I think, was it Joshua Gordon-Levitt or Jason Gordon-Levitt? 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they did that, a movie right, about, yeah. they did a fictionalized version of what really happened. Man on Wire is one of the best documentaries of all time because there's actual footage of the real guy actually doing it. And uh, it's one of the most unbelievable fits of courage and strength that you've ever seen. So embarrassing. And I was like, if that guy can do that, I can go up at the cellar. And I called Judd and I was like, I'm coming with you. And I went and John Fischel was hosting. Um, Ryan Reese was there. Judd was there. And it was like an amazing crowd. I really lucked out that the crowd was real. I mean, the crowds are almost always amazing. Because at the cellar, you have like A-plus crowds and then you have B-plus crowds. And this was an A-plus crowd, um, and I just – I had all that nervous energy. I had all of that, like – I had, like, over 10 years of thinking about that night, and I just went up, and start, as soon as I told my first joke, I was like, what am I – what was I talking about? Like, this is just a club. This is just – it's a wonderful club, but, like, I'm good at stand-up comedy, and I did very well, and it was super fun. And I have all these pictures from that night. I don't drink anymore, but, like, they look like drunken photos. Like, there's selfies of me and uh, Ryan. Because, like, I was just, like, so high from, like, not just doing a set. Like, the set had almost nothing to do with it. It was about doing something that I had been scared about for 10 years. And that's why comedy, I think why Seinfeld, why everybody keeps doing it, is because there's never not another opportunity to challenge yourself or push yourself. I, I don't play golf or anything, but it, I think it has to be why people play that. There's always a subtler game to master. And I feel like when I, with comedy, it's sort of like infinitely unwinnable. So there's always a new way to challenge yourself or overcome something. And that, that was a really uh, great night for me. I love that story. The voice you're listening to, that of Pete Holmes. You've seen him on Crashing, Conan, Jimmy Fallon. The podcast you probably listened to, you made it weird. I mean, this guy has done it all. Pete, you have done it all. And that story just proves comedy, it, it was like you graduated that night. I mean, you became part or, or you got into the fraternity that night. It's just such a special thing. Last night here in Vegas, I, I had the ability to go and see Steve Byrne. Then I hung out at the cellar backstage with Voss and the ball busting that goes on. It's just such a special thing that you guys do. And the fact that this, this concert, this festival this weekend gets me excited is because finally comedy and music together. These people have their hand on the pulse of what really works. Go to kaboodelmar.com. The one in Texas was amazing. This one, it's just a couple hours from now, Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul are going to be on stage. You're going to be just a few stages over, closing out tonight. What does it mean for you to be part of this? I mean, this is just, this is not what you imagined when you started comedy, I'm sure. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I became aware that music festivals had comedy until... I want to think it was, um, I always mix up Bonnaroo and Bumbershoot. I think it was Bonnaroo. Mm -hmm. um, I did Bonnaroo maybe 10 years ago, and that was when I was first like, oh, I guess that, that is a, that's a good marriage. Like, you can kind of hear yeah. the bass of some band next door, but other than <laughs> that, you're like, this is, this is really fun. And, and people are often looking for a break from nonstop 
you know, music. I know the musicians, for example, really tend to like comedy. Yep. And I think uh, people that listen to a lot, a lot of music will sometimes want a palate cleanser or <laughs> just a place to uh, go when your drugs take a bad turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, what I was getting at, because this, this has Pete Holmes and friends on the bill, and I, I heard Snoop Dogg in the Wu-Tang Clan are just a couple stages over. You being a New York guy, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan's 10304 Staten Island, so, you know, those guys are going to drop by tonight, I'm sure, your show. <laughs> it's the same audience, wants to come by, I mean, <laughs> come on by, everybody. Uh, I am a real – they have Ghostface Killer, and I'm the most ghosty Ghostface that's ever Ghostface. So, um... <laughs> I remember Jim Gaffigan was actually thinking of you for part of Pale Force, but he went in another direction, but yes. I know I could have been in pale force. That's so funny. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not actually an end friend show. That was. I mean, there's an opener. I'm bringing an opener. Um, but stand up is so interesting to me. It's like I think this booking probably came in like three months ago, and I was like, okay, I don't know if my hour will be ready. <laughs> like you have to, you have to, you're playing with like the muses, you know what I mean? Like you're right. dealing with something as subtle as your creativity and like whether or not something, a flow and like a closer. I'm all about like the right opener and the right closer. And if I can get the right opener and the right closer. Overthinking again, Pete, do you realize there is not a person I've met in this business who doesn't have a great thing to say about you? You are the most likable guy. You go oh, on stage and you win them over already. You don't have to worry about that. Oh, that's that. very kind. But I, I wasn't sure I'd have the time. That's really kind of you. I wasn't sure if I'd have the time to do a full hour. And then by the time the months passed, I was like, I, I totally do. I'm really excited about doing it. So I'm just bringing one person. But we wanted to make it an end friend show just in case. That's a little inside <laughs> show, biz. If I'm like, oh, I only have 30 minutes. Then you can bring three friends and, uh, you know. Then we'll just call you Cat Williams. I, I, Is that what he does? Oh, my goodness. I saw Cat out here in Vegas. He brought out the kitchen sink with him. I mean, he was bringing people out who had sitcoms in the 80s. He, I think he had about four uh, or five guys. Cat came out did about 20 minutes. So it was really, it was one of those things you never have to worry about with Pete Holmes. And, and Pete, I say that, <laughs> it, it, I, I really do, because you get out there and you're going to have a crowd in front of you. And it's 11 o'clock at night. These people are going to be ready to rock and roll. I guarantee you, you don't get through two-thirds of your set. You're going to be doing crowd work. <laughs> I hope so. People need to check you out. It's com. You're part of a great lineup. I mean, you talk about guys, uh, Wayne Brady's there, Tom Green is there, Kevin Smith is on stage before you. Back to the music, though. Are there any of these 80s and 90s throwback bands that they have there? I mean, they have the Bengals, uh, Dave Matthews band is there. Who is Pete Holmes going to see? Yeah, I, it depends on, like, who's playing tonight, I, I think is the question. Like, I, I would talk about... My ghost face status, I would go and see Dave Matthews Band for sure. I definitely would. I still, I, I'm not proud of this. I haven't even told, I don't know why I'm not proud of this. You know what? Screw that. I am proud of this. I still occasionally listen to Dave Matthews Band and I'm, I'm cool with it. I'd love for him to do my podcast. I've tried in the past. 
So I would go see him. And aren't the Kings of Leon playing or something? I think they they are. And we just became the two whitest men in all of America. (laughs) I know. But let me tell you, I'm going to admit it. I'm going to admit it, too, though. Dave Matthews Band, I actually drove up. I went to school at the University of Tampa. I drove up to Gainesville to see him one night, and that's a long drive. I mean, that's the guy, and he was with, I believe, uh, who's the guy? Tim Reynolds. It was Tim Reynolds and Dave Matthews. What a great, I mean, he's, in my opinion, it's okay to say you like Dave Matthews. I I mean, but we know. It's just, it's not, it's not cool. I'm supposed to like, I don't even know who I'm supposed to like. Are we worried about um, being cool I, I anymore? Are we worried about being I'm cool anymore? I'm certainly not. I'm certainly not. And, you know, maybe we're similar age. There's certain records of his that just, like, really take me to a to a time in my life. And that's, and that's valuable under, stuff. I think to throw that table, away is stupid. Under the table and dreaming. Well, my favorite is actually busted stuff. I, I don't know if you remember that one. It was a later album. It was a later album. And there was a Lily White r- version of it, like a, a Lily White Sessions version of it that I really liked. And this is I, that must have been like 2001 or something, because that was when we were all getting it on like Napster. Like they never released it. The version right. that I really like was never released. But now, now I own the the real version, and I, I still listen to that all the time. I think I think it's a great record. I'm t- it is. I love that guy. So let me tell you, there is so much to see. Caboodelmar.com. Get your tickets. And I assure you, Pete Holmes is worth the price of admission by himself. I mean, to see the Wu-Tang Clan and Snoop is great. But there's nothing like a Pete Holmes show if you want to <laughs> Are they at the same time as my show? No. That's why I said that. I thought they were going to be part of your end friends because it works out. I think they're on from 9 to 10 or 10.30. So they can make oh, it right yeah. over. You gotta bring Snoop on stage with you. I'm telling you. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> it we've done sense. stuff in the past. I'll see if he remembers me. I doubt it. <laughs> You're unforgettable. You're unforgettable. Speaking of which, if people a lot want, of weed. I, it's legal, so you know it's for his glaucoma. I hear. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Pete, if people want to catch up with you, it's at P. Holmes on Twitter, correct? That's right. Pete, thank you so much for the time. Kaboo Del Mar, we'll see you soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the 5-Minute Talk Show. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and keep listening at 5MinuteTalkShow.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.